Shem Hashem Naseh V'Natzliach, Shur Torah, Happy Lag Ba'omer to everyone. This is the Ilula of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai Rashbi. Allah Shalom. Most people, whether they are religious or not religious, Jews, and sometimes even not Jewish, have heard at some point or another of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And... People love the mystical parts of the Torah. They love the um, the stories that uh, you know things are going above and beyond nature. And uh, many of those stories have to do with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, either because he was part of the story that's mentioned in the Gemara, uh, or because it's in the Zohar, which he uh, started. And there's a big dispute, to, you know, about the Zohar that some people say it's not from him. Now it's a known thing that his uh, Talmid, Rabbi Abba, wrote the Zohar, and but it was only discovered many, many years later. But uh, other additions were added to it, to the Zohar Kadosh. And uh, at some point, the Arizal. Uh, took it and uh, gave us a, a better version of it, if you will. Meaning he took out the things that are not relevant and uh, consolidated the things that are and also explained a lot of the mystical aspects, a lot of the secrets that are in the Zohar that we understand today is thanks to the Arizal. But the magnitude of what's in the Gemara, the Zohar, all of the Midrashim that talk about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, I mean, uh, you might as well be talking about a different planet. Some of the stories that are involved, uh, the Mesirut Nefesh, the self-sacrifice that he made uh, for Hashem, for, for Torah, uh, it's hard to understand. It's hard to relate unless you learn a little bit of Torah through suffering. You know, most people today, you have to convince them, practically beg them to learn Torah at all. You tell a guy, come to Yeshua Torah, oh, what time is it? What time do you want it to be? Just tell me what time it is. Seven. Ah, it's too late. Okay, so we'll do it at uh, six. Ah, it's too early. Okay, we'll do it at 6.30. I have something at that time. When do you want the shield? Can you do it at two? Why don't you say in the beginning? Today you have to beg people to learn Torah. Then finally you get them to learn Torah. You get them to finally come to shield Torah. And then I want to pick topics. Oh, can you talk about this? Okay, we'll talk about this. Can you talk about this? Okay, we'll talk about this. Is there going to be food? What kind of food do you want? Ah, it's Chinese food this time. I had Chinese food last week. I had Chinese food last week. Ah, it's pizza this time? Ah. It's not even a good one. You should get from so-and-so this pizza and that pizza. It becomes a uh, connoisseur of the food. Ah, this other shoe has much better food. If the guy finally gets to the, the guy, he gave him a book and he finally, because he's, Buying a book, people don't buy books anymore. If it's free, we'll take it. Guy starts reading a book. Ah, it's a little bit, I don't know, I think it's too easy. What do you mean it's too easy? I think it's too easy. Ah, there's too much commentary. I'm not, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's hard enough. What page are you up to? Three. 
How do you know the book's too easy? It's page three. You're still at the preface. You're still reading the, the author saying, thank you for, uh, for, for reading my book. What did you figure out was easy? But that's the thing. Yetzirah convinces us different things that sound funny. It's funny when you hear about it from the outside. Little do we know, we're actually the story. It's funny when you talk about it now. It's funny. We're in the story now. We're part of the story. It's us. Every excuse in the world not to learn to learn. Now, the famous story about Rabbi Shemuel Bar Yochai, the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, says that uh, Rabbi Shemuel Bar Yochai was an Ish Emet. What does it mean, Ish Emet? Ish Emet, you think, if somebody's going to tell you, oh, Mechal Shabbat, Motumat, you... Okay, yes, that's part of the Emet. You tell him, listen, what, what, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, he was in Mount Sinai. Yeah, three times he went. 40 days the first time, 40 days the second time, 40 days the third time. 120 days, no eating, no drinking, no nothing. Okay, good, you have some Torah. That means you're Ishemet? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. In your Sidul, in your Sidul, every day, specifically if in America, if you're a um, Sfaradi, if you're Ashkenazi, then usually only in Israel. There's the Tachnun. There's Tachnun. The Tachnun is an opportunity for us to do tshuva daily. Opportunity for us to do tshuva daily after we finish Amidah. Sechatanu, Avinu, Pashanu. And then it goes to all these different sins that we've made. We've talked about these before. And uh, you start looking at some of these sins, Mamash, it starts becoming very scary. I really made these sins? Yes. If not this Gilgul, the previous one. That's why you're still here. You're, all, you're not here because you're Gdolado. You're here because you have Duchuva. So you think Hatanu, Avinu, Pashanu, all these different things. Hamas, Nutafanu, Shekeru, Mirma, Yasnu, Tutraot, we gave bad advice. We lied, we got angry, we scoffed, we rebelled. All these different horrible things to such an extent that what's changed in the last few generations, that in the old generations, they used to scream this every day. Tachnun, say Hatanu, Tach, and hit each other. Avinu, pa, mamash, like mamash, do tshuva, because they know that they know they're they're guilty. Today we're such a lowly generation, Hashem and Achim, that in many synagogues, most that I've been at, they say this part quietly, meaning that no one hears you say chatanu avinu pashanu, and not only quiet, do so quickly. Thirty seconds later, we're finished. We're already at the end of Alen Mishabeach. We're finished. Mamash Busha Vechirpa. This is actually the reason why the Ashkenazim that do not do Tachnun actually have an argument for not doing it. Why are they not doing it? The Ashkenazim in America. Why are they not doing Tachnun for the most part? Unless they use the Sidur of the Arizal, which is mostly in Israel, but some do here also. Why? Because they said that realistically we're so low in such a lowly generation we can't even do the tachnun right. We're going to go too fast. We're going to go too low. 
We're gonna we're not gonna do it right. We're not we're gonna say that Hashem Chatanu Avinu Pashanu, but we're looking at our phone. Chatanu Avinu Pashanu, but we're thinking about the baseball game. So it's not really tshuva. Might as well not do it. Why? It brings a big kitug on you. The Ramban Alav Shalom says if you don't do tachnun the right way, it brings a kitug on you. One guy told me, yeah, but I didn't make all these sins. I didn't make all these sins. He says, I didn't steal today. I didn't uh, kill. I didn't uh, turn, uh, go against Hashem. He goes, the fact that you think you didn't do it is another sin. Because if you really knew the meaning of each one of these words, you'd realize you actually not only sinned these, you did worse. The Ramban, 800 years ago. So, all of these things, it's an opportunity for us to do tshuva. Also, you do it, Kirach Ma'alamita, you're supposed to do it too. Supposed to do tshuva every day because there's no guarantee we're going to wake up tomorrow. But at the end of the Tachnun, it says, asita You, Hashem, acted with emit. You acted with emit. Your signature is emit, truth. You acted with emit, meaning you punished us, all the things you did. That's emit. That's the truth. You did justice. We, Hashanu, we made sins. It's our fault. Meaning something happened. Person got sick. Person lost money. A person got divorced. A person went through the Holocaust. A person, whatever happened. You, emit. We, Hashanu. Anachnu, Hashanu. This is what you say every day. You're supposed to mean it. So if you're still asking, where was God during the Holocaust? Or why do people get cancer? Or why did this guy die? Or why did this guy lose money? He was such a nice guy. Or why did... If you're still asking why, why are you saying Tachnun? You're lying to Hashem in his face. Why are you saying it? So what does it mean, Kiemet Asita? What does it mean, Kiemet Asita? You did justice. So now, Rabotai Karim, last week, we read two parashot in America. Two parashot. One of the parashot was parashat Kedoshim. Parashat Kedoshim. Parashat Kedoshim, Hashem tells Am Yisrael, back then and today, no difference, Kedoshim to you, Ki Kedoshani. You be holy, because I am holy. You be holy, because I am holy. So, Arav Avigdor Miller, Alav Shalom, Baruch Haba. Arav Avigdor Miller, Alav Shalom. So, what does it mean, Kedoshim to you, Ki Kedoshani? You be holy because I'm holy. Were you comparing men to Hashem? What does it mean, Kedoshim to you, Ki Kedoshani? You be holy because I'm holy. Hashem is saying it. It's not even Moshe saying it. It's not another person. It's not an opinion. It's an obligation. Not only it's an obligation, it's one of the 613 mitzvot, you have to do it. You have to be holy. What does it mean? You have to sanctify his name, you have to love him, you have to fear him. It's a multiple mitzvot, come from here. But what does it mean, Kedoshim, to you? What does it mean, you be holy? What does it mean, to be holy? says a chidush. He says, Hashem is giving you instructions. You want to be good? Be like me. You want to go to Gan Eden? Be like me. What does it mean, be like Hashem? I can't create anything. No. My midot, replicate them. I'm holy, you be holy. 
I'm good, you be good. I'm kind, you be kind. And so on and so forth. I'm humble, you be humble. There's no one humbler than Hashem. Hashem Echem, we step on Him all day and He still lets us go. If I was Hashem, I'd destroy the world every day. Just for the chutzpah that people think that they can go against me. If I was a malach, I'd destroy the world every day. Baruch Hashem, I'm not Hashem. Imagine this. His own creation is going against him. What does he do? He gives him bracha. He gives him parnasah. He gives him a wife. He gives him a husband. He gives him kids. He gives him a house. They're going against him. He gives them money to do it. Oh, you want to go against me? Okay, it's a five million dollars. Go, go. Why are you giving them more? Maybe he's going to do tshuva. It's, it doesn't make any sense, but that's a shame. That's how much he loves us, how much he wants to, to do good for us. But he says, you, at the end of this life, then you're going to meet me face to face. Then we're going to become intimate together. We're going to get to know each other real well. And whatever you did, we're going to have to account for it. He says, Kedoshim to you, Kedoshani. I gave you the instructions. You have to be holy. You chose not to. Okay. Now we have a different type of relationship. So now, Rav Vigdor Miller says, this is Hashem giving you instructions of what to do in this life. People always ask me, what's the purpose of life? This is the purpose of life. Be Kadosh. What does it mean, be Kadosh? Be like Hashem. Whatever midot, whatever uh, character traits Hashem has, you have to emulate Him. Generosity, generosity. Humility, humility. Emet, emet. Narashbi Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Allah Shalom, there was no one like him with such emet. Why? Because to be an ish emet doesn't mean that, oh, you tell your friend, listen, you know, maybe you should stay at my house for Shabbat so you don't drive. Okay, that's nice. Good job. You're trying to help your friend keep Shabbat. Good job. But he's your friend. If he says no, if he says yes, nothing's really going to change that much. To be an Ishemet means that you're willing to put your whole life on the line. Your reputation, your money, your anything, anything of any value at all that you think still has any value at all. Put on the line for what? For Kvod Hashem. Everything's on the line for Kvod Hashem, for the honor of Hashem. Wait, wait, if you do it, you're going to lose your job. Okay, I lose my job. If you do it, your wife's going to leave you. Okay, so my wife's going to leave me. If you do it, your husband's going to leave you. Okay, so my husband's going to leave me. So what? But your kids are going to hate you, your neighbors. They're going to write papers about you. They're, they're, you're not going to be invited to any synagogue. They're, okay, so then I... Meaning, for emet, doesn't just mean when it's nice to do it. When it's convenient, when it's affordable. When you have the extra cash laying around, then you're going to give tzedakah. When you have enough cushion for 30 generations, then you're going to give a thousand bucks. But until then, you're keeping it for the IRA and for the 401k and the 403b and this B and that B and all the Bs in the world. So, oh, I have a treasure chest. No different than Rockefeller. Okay, here's a hundred dollars. Here you go. Not when it's convenient. To be Ishemet means 
under all conditions. So the very famous story that the Gemara Masechet Shabbat talks about Rashbi, Rabbi Shemuel Bar Yochai, is that one day, Rabbi Yehuda wanted to give a compliment to the Romans. He said, look at these Romans. They build bridges, they build uh, bathhouses, they build all these roads, markets. They did good. Everybody benefits out of it. Rabbi Yossi didn't say anything. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, eh, Romans, this is, what you, this is what you think. You think they built the bridges and the markets and the bathhouses because they want benefit mankind? All they're trying to do is milk us of all of our money. The bridges, so they collect tolls. The markets, so they collect our money and sell us stuff. The bathhouse, so they can collect money and have their prostitutes and all the other things they have. These people, all they care about is capitalism. All they care about is money. That's their God. And God we trust in the dollar bill already was 2,500 years ago. What credit are you giving them? Now there was this one guy that was overheard, overheard the conversation. Overheard the conversation. And for what the Midrash says, he was a convert. But a new one. And he thought that, you know, interesting conversation. And there's a mixed opinion of whether he went and told the Romans himself directly or whether he did it by accident by telling it to somebody else and eventually he got to the Romans. Either way, it got to the Romans. They said, okay, Rabbi Yehuda, that gave us compliments for what we're doing, we're going to make him new rule. What? Anytime there's a speech, he's the first one to speak at any lecture. No one's allowed to speak before him. We're going to give him a lot. He gave us kavod, we're going to give him kavod. Rabbi Yehuda didn't say anything, didn't defend us. Get out of here. We'll let you live, but get out of here. We don't want to see you. Rabbi Shimon, there's a bounty of infinite amount of doubt. Just kill the guy. And that's what happened with Rabbi Shimon when he stood up for the truth, when it cost him everything. Why? Because that was the truth. That was the emet. He ran away. Initially, he hid in the kolel. Eventually, he realized he had to hide because he was afraid that they're going to get to his wife and torture his wife to such an extent she's going to have to tell him, tell them where he and his son are. So now they go to the um, cave, to hide in the cave. Not enough time to pack. Not enough time to bring any food. No refrigerator. No air conditioner. No central air. No beers. Nothing. No water. All he has is Torah. Him and his son. No bonfire either. For Lag Balmer. As soon as they arrive at the, uh, at the cave, they make a hole in the ground. He said, we don't know how long we're going to be here. These Romans, they're relentless. They're going to chase us forever. May be here for the rest of our life. Let's make holes so at least we can preserve our clothes. So we could sit and stand in the hole in the ground all day, cover ourselves with sand, so we can learn Torah, because you're not allowed to learn naked. But not wear the clothes. Why? Because if we wear the clothes, then after a short period of time, it could be a year, two years, or whatever it's going to be, eventually the clothes are going to get ruined. And that's not Kvot Shabbat. It's not the honor of Shabbat that we're going to have, you know, 
clothes that are ripped. We have to wear something special for Shabbat. We have to wear something special for Shabbat. Can you imagine what kind of mindset? Do you, do you see the difference, the, the, the infinite difference between us? He's worried he's going to sit in a hole the whole day with his son. Why? So I have a special piece of clothing for Shabbat. We say we're going to buy a special piece of clothing to go show off to our friends. He says, I'm going to buy special clothing to show Hashem. To honor Hashem. So now this is what they do. They learn Torah non-stop. Hashem makes a miracle. A river of fresh water, Mamash, gets to the cave. And a, it's uh, a um, carob tree grows from nothing. Now, what was the miracle about a carob tree? Carobs, if you ever ate this, this thing, it breaks your teeth. You eat it one time, it wrecks your stomach for a year. This was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What kind of miracle is this? Give him a steak. Give him cows. Give him something else. Why carob? Carob tree takes 70 years to grow. It grew in how long? In a second. Why? Because there are three things you could attain only through Mesirut Nefesh. The Gemara Masechet Brachot and also Masechet Shabbat says three things you could only attain through Mesirut Nefesh, through sacrifice. What are they? One, Torah. You want to be Tamit Chacham? Self-sacrifice. Two, Eretz Yisrael. You want to live in Eretz Yisrael? Sacrifice. Three, Olam Abba. What are you thinking? You're going to get to Olam Abba because you're a funny guy? Because you're generous? Because you learn daf yomi? It's not enough. Not enough. Anyone that doesn't, that still thinks that they're going to coast in to Olam Abba is confused. So now, since Hashem obviously sees why He's making the decisions that He's making, He's giving him an opportunity to get to higher and higher level by giving him more and more opportunities to make bigger sacrifices. After 12 years of being in the cave, they leave the cave after they get the message that the ones that wanted to kill them died. They're no longer around. They don't want to kill them anymore. The bounty is off. But him and his son, Abil Azal, come out and they see they became so holy, they didn't understand, they couldn't relate to the average man. They saw that there's average religious people. We're not talking about chilonim. There wasn't really much chilonim back then, secular people. But they saw an average religious Jew spending a good part of his day working and part of his day learning. And they just spent 12 years learning, they got to the highest level, and saying, why would anybody that has Torah spend any time at all in the mundane? Working, anything, anything other than what you have to do. You have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. You have to eat, eat. That's it. And that's what he says in the Gemara Masechet Barachot, where he talks about, really, you should never step a foot into an office. That's what Bishim Yochai says. You should never step a foot into an office. You should never work a single day in your life. You should learn Torah for minute, from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to sleep. You do it at in the morning, you do it at night, meaning, but also all the way to the end. Why? He says, if not for my covenant, for my Torah, day and night, meaning 
that someone is learning around the clock, Hashem destroys the world anyway. So the whole world depends on you. Don't spend any time working. That's what he says. Rabbi Yudah says, yes, but this is not for everybody. He says, you're right, it's not for everybody. But realistically, that's the full potential. Studying non-stop. So when they first came out of the cave, they said, listen, I don't understand why anybody is not studying. They're spending half the day working. And their level of Kedusha couldn't tolerate it. And literally everyone they saw that was not at the highest level, literally, he burned them or he put them on, on uh, froze them. Hashem says, whoa, would you come out here to destroy my world? Go back in your cave. He sent them back in the cave. But called from Shemaim, yelled at both of them, said, get back in your cave. You got to a high, too, much, too high of a level to relate to this world. You became malachim. You became angels. They go back into the cave. Hashem lowers their level of Kedusha over the next year. After the 13th year, they come out again. Rabbi Lazal still was not yet there, still couldn't tolerate people that were working and spending any time in, the, uh, in things that were mundane. So he would want to freeze them, but Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, his father, would heat them back, heat them back up. He'd save them until he calmed down. But the point is, you see that when a person gets to a high level of Kedushah, they can literally change nature. Now, up to now, most people know the stories. Really, very few Chidushim, not much new here. The part that most people don't know is what the Gemara Masechet Shabbat continues. What happens when he got home? When Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai got home, at one time, he, you know, he was so holy that he completely disregarded the material, disregarded his body, disregarded anything. So, when his father-in-law saw him and hugged him, Rabbi Shimon felt a lot of pain. He didn't realize what it was, he just felt a lot of pain. So, when he took off his clothes, it's like, what happened? He took off his clothes, see this blood. So what took off his clothes, you see that from the sand, from being in the sand for so long, it literally sliced his entire body. There were slices across his entire body. Almost like somebody cut him with a dagger over and over again, like train tracks all over his body. And his father-in-law says, Oi, Lee, that I see you like this. Rabbi Shimon says, Oi, lecha im lo kacha. Oi, oi to you if you didn't see me like this. So what does it mean? He says, oh, woe to me that I see you like this, suffering with all this, uh, your whole body's wrecked. He says, woe to you if you didn't see me like this. Why? Because if you didn't see me like this, that means I wouldn't have the Torah that I had. And this, I'll have this all over again if that's the Torah that I can get. Because before the Chachamim say, before he went into the cave, his father-in-law was higher than him in Torah. But now he was higher than his father-in-law. So we see from here that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is not all about uh, bonfires. Far, far away from bonfires. It's a minag, it's a minag to celebrate his ilula, but realistically what you're supposed to do, so the whole thing is supposed to be revolved about lear, around learning Torah, not just making batatot, making potatoes. 
It's about learning Torah. You're supposed to be learning Torah under the fire. You're supposed to be celebrating Kedusha. Not celebrating mixed dancing and uh, all the shtuyot that people do. So, so Rabbi Shimon was Ish Emet that understood things we can't even understand. He understood what it means to be Ish Kadosh. He understood what Parashat Kedoshim meant when it says Kedoshim to you. He understood what Rav Avigdor Miller says that is an instructions of how to emulate Hashem. In fact, he taught all of them what it all means. Now, we have to see how does this apply to us. How does this apply to us? Now, the same Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai wrote in the Zohar some scary things about the last generation, before Mashiach comes. He says, before Mashiach comes, there's going to be, Am Yisrael is going to be under control by Erev Rav. Erev Rav. What's Erev Rav? Erev Rav are different types of bad Jews, unfortunately. In the Zohar Bereshit, Parashat Bereshit, Genesis, Parashat Bereshit, Rabbi Shemobar Yochai says the Erev Rav will always try to make Am Yisrael weaker. How? By causing them to sin. Especially in the last generation before the Mashiach. And the five types of Erev Rav are Nephilim, Giborim, Anakim, Refaim, Amalekim. Five five different types of Erev Rav. Now, there's no one in the streets walking around, hey, I'm uh, Refaim, and this guy is I'm Anak, this guy Nefim. People don't walk around with those names. There's no like, uh, nation name like that. So how do we know what they are? There's a much easier way to identify an Erev Rav. Erev Rav are people that lead other people to sin. Minim. And he continues, he says, at the end of the days, the Erev Rav will be the rulers and heads of Am Israel, the head people, not just some people that are on the internet, these uh, keyboard warriors that make comments. No, we're talking about rabbis, politicians, government, uh, you know, officials, and regular people too. Where does it say in the Psukim? Okay, Rabbi Shimon, thank you very much. You have a source? Many. This is one of many. In the book of Samuel 1, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Ragle chasidav ishmo reshaim b'choshch hidamu, kilo bekoach yigbar ish. It says, he guards the steps of his devout ones. Hashem, takes care of the people that are anshayimit, that are keeping the, sticking to him through thick and thin. But the reshaim, the wicked ones, are stilled in darkness. Darkness, a.k.a. Gehenom. 
for not through strength does man prevail. So, the Chachamim say, look at the three words, Reshaim b'choshech yidamu. Reshaim b'choshech yidamu, Rashetevot. The first letter of every one of those uh, of those uh, words, wicked in the darkness, they they will uh, they will uh, be still. They were going to they're all going again. No, what does it say? Resh bet yud, Rabbi. In the end of the generations, in the generation of Mashiach, unfortunately, part of the erev rav is going to be the rav. Sometimes it's going to be a rav. Sometimes it's going to be the rav. If it happens to be some guy named David Kaplan that calls himself a rab and goes on keyboard, he's a keyboard warrior on Facebook, and make comments against me or Rav Mizrahi or anybody that says Emet, Erev If it's somebody else that uh, says, go smoke marijuana, and uh, especially right before learning, maybe it's going to get you to a higher level of learning. You're going to be Mekubal with the marijuana in your system. Erev Somebody tells people things that are against Alakha, Erevrav. Why Erevrav? Because when an average person makes a comment on the internet or says something bad on another person, it's Lashonara, it's Rechilut, it's a sin, but it's contained. It's contained. If it's on the internet, it's terrible because it's almost impossible to fix it because you don't know how many people looked at it. But still, nonetheless, it's contained. It's like Joe said that this rabbi is an idiot. Okay, Joe said it. Who cares? Steve also said it. Steve, Joe, it's the same thing. But when Rabbi Kaplan says this guy is an idiot, oh, rabbi said it. It must mean something. He's a rabbi. Now you see... When Joe said it, okay, maybe his friends are going to listen to him, but strangers most likely not. But when the rabbi said it, both friends, foes, any, everyone that's looking for the same story, is going to listen. Why? It's a rabbi. Look at the hat he has. It's the size of the hotel. They have to have two hotels, one for him and uh, one for his hat. So this, Rabotai Karim, is not news. And honestly, I feel bad for every one of them. Why? Person works so hard to keep Shabbat, Talat Mishpacha, Kosher, all these mitzvot you're doing for nothing. You lost your Olam Abba. Unless you do serious, serious tshuva, Mesirut Nefesh, Tanit, Mamash, like Mamash, you tear yourself apart, maybe become Rabbi Shumabayachai, go into a cave, maybe. You have, unless you do serious, serious tshuva, you can't fix it. You keep Shabbat from here the next year. You can't fix it for such things. Why? Look what you did. You machtiar rabim. You caused people to sin. One guy that was going to do tshuva was going to watch a shiur, and now he's not going to watch a shiur because of you. Your deen goes with him. But this is not news. So we see, Rabotai, that when Hashem says Kedoshim to you, you have to think about Hashem and what would He do? What would He do? If somebody says something against Hashem, does He react right away? Does He lose His mind? No. Why are you losing your mind? Even if you're right. Even if you're right and the guy's an idiot. Even if you're right and what He said is wrong. Is that how Hashem reacts? 
Is that what Hashem does? Is that what Hashem said in the Torah? That if somebody made a mistake, you're supposed to just go out there and like murder him in public? That's what you're supposed to do? That's the way of the Torah? Where does it say that in Shulchan Aruch? Where? Show me. Show me what's safe. Show me. So that's like Kedoshim to you means a lot, Rabbi means a lot. It's not just some simple thing. Now the Mishnah in Avod that we're up to gives us a little more details. The Mishnah in Avod continues this journey that we've been on for the last five lectures. And we're up to the last part. Now up to now this Mishnah in Avot 5.11 Hey Yud Aleph has showed us that everything happens for a reason including the things we don't want to happen. In fact, especially the things we don't want to happen. The cancer, the AIDS, the wars, the pogroms, the inquisitions, the holocaust, all of those things happen for a reason. In fact, Rav Vigdor Miller, Allah Shalom said Hitler in the Holocaust was Hashem doing chesed. Chesed for Am Yisrael. Kindness for Am Yisrael. Because he, Hashem Itbarach, sent Imach Shimo and his Nazis to go kill bodies. The Jews were intermarrying to such an extent and going against Hashem to such an extent that they were killing souls. Better bodies than souls. You have a problem? Go to Rabbi Victor Miller. He's in Olam Abba right now. Moshe Rabbeinu, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. You can talk to them. See what they think about your opinion of how you're offended. This is not 200 years ago. Less than 20 years ago. During all of our lifetimes. If Rabbi Victor Miller right now goes to the top uh, uh, shul in America today, he says, is that it? Throw stones at him. 20 year difference. 20 year difference. So now, this Mishnah in Avot says the same thing. He's not giving a chidush. He didn't give a chidush. He said this Mishnah in Avot. It's what he said. Dever bala olam al mitot amurot batorah Pestilence comes to the world for death penalties prescribed by the Torah that were not carried out by the court. Hashem gave you a, a, a tool. You did not use it the right way. You're causing damage to everybody, not just yourself. Illegal use of the fruits of the sabbatical year. Instead of taking the fruits of the sabbatical year and giving it away, you're keeping, you're giving it to your family, you're keeping it within the family. You're not fulfilling the mitzvah like I told you. You just made your, your own mitzvah, your own religion. This causes damage, not just to the person himself, but to the world around him. All of Israel is responsible for each other. Responsible for sins, responsible for mitzvah. You make a mitzvah, somebody somewhere else benefits. You make a avira, somebody somewhere else will get hurt from it. We're all part of originally the same exact neshama. You're not alone, even if you feel alone. And only time you feel alone is when? When you don't learn Torah. If you don't learn Torah, only thing you can have is feelings of anxiety, feelings of depression, 
feeling of stress, anxiety, feeling of loneliness, feeling of bored, being bored, boredom, frustration, pretty much all of the negativities in life are just because you're not learning Torah. If you learn Torah, you're never ever bored. It's impossible to be bored if you learn Torah. Impossible. Why? Because your mind is working 24 hours a day. It's impossible to be unhappy. Impossible. Why? You're connected to Hashem. There's nothing better than that. If you're, not, if you're learning and you're unhappy, that means you're not learning enough. You're learning, but not enough. Your, your neshama apparently can handle more. So after that, it says the sword, war, comes to the world. Why? If there's delay of justice, they delay the statement, they, uh, the, the, they delay, the, delay the sentence, they postpone everything for their own interest because the judge wanted to go on vacation, because it's his friend on trial. For all of these different reasons, you're delaying the justice. Or you perverted the justice. You're trying to run the world. You're giving the poor guy the money even though he doesn't deserve it. You're giving the rich guy money even though he doesn't deserve it. You're perverting justice. For rendering decisions contrary to Allah, you're telling people to smoke marijuana just to go, uh, maybe it's going to help them. You're telling people, maybe we should bring a missionary to the shul, he's going to tell us about what the purpose of life is. All of these stupid things that people do, you're telling people, let's have a sheshbesh party. A gambling party at the shul. Fa'ilui nishmat. To raise a soul. Misken the soul. Poor soul. Went down a level because of the Sheshbesh tournament. There's casinos they have in shuls today. They have casinos inside shuls. Moshev Litzin. A place of clowns. This is exactly what it is. You're making decisions contrary to Alakha. There's Alakha. You're doing the opposite. Hashem says the, the Bet Knesset is a Bet Mikdash. You're turning it to a casino. You're turning it to a bar. You're turning it to a restaurant. It's not a restaurant. It's not a bar. And it's not a casino. And it's also not a strip club. For all of those women that feel like they have to wear their bikinis to, to shul. It's not that either. It's a Bet Mikdash. Hashem is there. The fact that you can't see Him is your problem. Put on some clothes, maybe you'll see Him. If you continue with no clothes, you'll see Him even faster. Just a different version. Last night we said wild beasts. Wild beasts, chayala'a, terrorists and, 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 and the like come upon the world. Why? For vain oaths, for the desecration of Hashem's name. Chilul Hashem. Chilul Hashem, desecration of Hashem's name, Hashem and Hashem, unfortunately happens regularly today. Even in the religious world, in the secular world, it's so easy to be a mechalel shem shamayim that really you have to reconsider whether you should ever talk. Sinning in public is chilul Hashem also. Sinning, just you made a sin. You drove on Shabbat, it's Chilul Shabbat. But if 10 people, 10 Jews know that you drove on Shabbat, it's Chilul Hashem too. Or as one time I said to I, uh, this guy invited me to lunch. I said, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't eat there, I only eat kosher. It's like, why well, I have Jewish friends that uh, eat non-kosher with me all the time. I said, I'm sorry. That's Chilul Hashem. Those people, they don't realize that even though they weren't there during this conversation, 
they just committed the worst sin in the entire Torah. They, they desecrated Hashem's name. They weren't even there. But their actions from where they are and what they did in the past gave birth to new sins. This is why the Gemara Masechet Rosh Hashanah says that the Sfarim, Hashem opens the book of life every year for everyone, the living and the dead. Why? Your actions gave birth to other ones. If your actions gave birth to more mitzvot, you get more reward for them, whether you're here or in your Allah you get more reward. If your actions give birth to more sins, you left an idol in the middle of the street, and people are bowing to it, and you already died 200 years ago, you're getting more genom for that idol, because so long it's still alive. That's why Menashe, even though he did shuva at the end of his life, they didn't mention it until the end of the Tanakh. Why? It was only at the end of the Tanakh that all the idols that he had in the world were destroyed from the world. After his life already. Hashem accepted his tshuva, but it, the tshuva wasn't complete until all the idols left. All of the sins left. Up to here we got to. Now we have to ask ourselves, why are we here? Why are we in America? Why are we in Egypt? Modern day Egypt. The sad problem is that most people don't realize it's Egypt. Some people came up with a funny name. America is America. It's, it's an empty place. But on one end, we're supposed to be grateful to Hashem Ibarah for putting us in a place that doesn't have as much persecution as our forefathers. Another end, we're not really supposed to be celebrating that we're in a galut. Why? There's a reason for it. And the reason is not always good. There's a good reason, and there's a bad reason. The bad reason I'll tell you first, but then I'll give you more commentary on it after. The good reason I'll tell you second, and then give you more commentary after. So this Mishnah says, Galut ba'al ha'olam. The exile, meaning get vomited from the land. Why? Exile comes to the world. For what? For the sin of idolatry. For Giluya Rayot was his immorality, sex crimes. And for bloodshed, murder, wasting seed, and the like. And what else? For working the earth on the sabbatical year. Before it was using the fruits of the sabbatical year in an illegal way. Here is you're continuing to work and pretty much you're disregarding that it's Shemitah. You're continuing to work. One is you took the Shemitah, you stopped working, but whatever you got out of it, you're keeping for yourself, you're giving it to your friends. You're not doing what you're supposed to by giving it to the poor, by giving it to the, to the Levi'im and so on. You're giving it to yourself really. But you're not working. Here, we got worse. What? We're continuing to work. Like there's no Shemitah, there's no mitzvah of Shemitah. Since these following things cause, bring exile to the world. So, The terrible sins that we mentioned, if you notice, 
עבודה זרה, גילוי עריות ושפיכות דמים. These are what? These are the three cardinal sins that the Rambam פוסק להלכה. Die, but don't make the sin. If someone tells you, go worship an idol, die and don't worship the idol. Somebody tells you, go rape this woman, die, don't touch this woman. Somebody tells you, go kill this guy, die, don't kill anyone. You die, done him. Why? Your blood's not more valuable than his. Jew, non-Jew, doesn't make a difference. So we see that the punishment of exile, in essence, means these three reasons are the reasons why Hashem destroyed the Beit HaMikdash. After the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, what happened? He went to exile. So it shows us that these three sins are literally death penalty. This, the equivalent of the, the exile is the equivalent of getting death penalty. Now, the Zohar Kadosh also says that since Kol De'avid Rachamana Tav De'avid, Rabbi Akiva says everything that the merciful one does is always the best. We talked about this last night. How could it be for the best to send Am Yisrael to the four corners of the world? How could it be the best? Whereas a Jew in Australia barely has a minyan. Is a Jew in England, the minyan, but half people are not kosher. The minyan in America, you know, even himself is not kosher. The one, they're all over the place, miskinim. Some people, a lot of people, a lot less people, reform, conservative, no one knows who's right, no one knows who's left. Everybody's confused, Jews are everywhere, but nowhere at the same time. How is this any good? How could this be the best? Rabbi Akiva says, always the best, not sometimes the best. Anything that Hashem does is always the best. How could this be the best? So the Zohar says, Hashem promised us that at the end of days, if you look for me, you'll find me. Sefer Dvarim, chapter 4. said, you look for me, you'll find me. How? You look for me with all of your heart and all of your soul. He says, this means several things. One of the things is, anyone that wants to do tshuva, it doesn't make a difference where he is. You're in America, you're in England, you're in Australia, you're in uh, Israel. doesn't make a difference where you are. You want to do tshuva, you'll be able to do tshuva wherever you're at before Mashiach comes. Why? I'll make it so. Now, if you, when you said this 3,000 years ago, how is a guy in the middle of Africa, when his next door neighbor is walking around with underwear all day, how is he going to do tshuva? There's not, how is he going to learn anything? Today you know. Why? You have, you have uh, online. You have YouTube. You have Torah anytime. You have Bezat Hashem. You have a uh, Facebooks. You have all these different ways to get Torah. You have books that you can get for pennies. You have books that you can get for free. It's easy. You want? You look for me. You will find me. How? Press a button on your phone. I'm right there. And even if you don't press, I'll come to you anyway. If you're really looking for me. If you're really looking for me, I'll come to you. One time a woman sent me a text. said, I saw you teach uh, the Bible. I saw you teach the Bible. And uh, I wanted to send you this. She sends me a JCPenney video. So the way I react to all Christians is the same way. Please do not send me any idol worship. 
But instead, you should watch this. And I sent them a bunch of information about disproving Christianity, the debate between Rabbi Zrachi and the Christian professor, the, uh, some debates by Rabbi Tobia Singer. Now I add my lecture that I did about J.C. Penny and how it's a complete nonsense, this whole New Testament and so on. Anyway, I sent it. Nine out of ten times, the dialogue either ends over there or they completely ignore everything I said and they continue sending me J.C. Penny videos until I block them. Once in a while I win. How do I win? The person takes interest. The person was actually looking for the truth and actually thought they had it. So they figured, oh, you teach the Bible. They didn't know it's the Torah. You teach the Bible. Okay, so let me send you stuff about the Bible. And Baruch Hashem, I said, okay, you send me something. Okay, I'll send you something back. And the person's neshama says, Baruch Hashem. Finally, I got it. I've been waiting 3,000 years for this. I sent one woman this information. Right now, she's in the process of converting to, 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 to Judaism. Where is she? End of the world. Mama's end of the world. There's no chance in the world that we are ever going to meet face to face. No chance. We were never going to meet. We live different parts of the world. It was never going to happen in any other generation other than right now. And this is, I can tell you stories like this on a regular basis, weekly. Weekly. If you look for me, you'll find me. Rabotai, I heard a story today. A woman sent me a story. She says, You're never gonna, I never told you this, but you're never going to believe it of how I actually found out about you. I said, Chavod. They sent me this story. She says, Listen, I was lost. I just uh, had cancer. Hashem and Achem. And I was trying, you know, we just went through this whole nightmare experience. I went to pray to Hashem. Wasn't really religious, wasn't really doing much. And uh, I'm at the Kotel in Israel. The Kotel on the woman's section in Israel. In the corner over there, I see there's a CD, it says in English, from Wall Street to the Western Wall. This is Israel, it's not much English over there, not at the Kotel at least. I see a CD over there. So I look around, whose is it? So I ask, does this belong to anyone? Does this belong to anyone? So one of the Rabbaniot that's over there says, no, no, this is for free. Take it, take it, it's for you. She said, I picked up the CD, I started listening, I never stopped listening. If you look for me, you'll find me. Hashem says to you, if you look for me, you'll find me. You want to do tshuva, you can do tshuva in any corner of the world. But also, that answers only the fact of why the Jews are scattered on one aspect. What's the other aspect? Zohar Kadosh says, Zohar Kadosh says, also, I promise some others that I'm going, to, I'm going to let them find me. Ooh, the converts. There were some people that wanted to accept the Torah during Matan Torah. But their nations and their leaders did not want to accept it. So I said to them, you want to accept it, but your nation doesn't. I can't give it to you by yourself. But I promise you that a day is going to come before the Mashiach is going to come. I'm going to bring you in a reincarnation as another person that will have an unusual circumstance and an unusual desire to convert to Judaism. But how is somebody going to convert 3,000 years ago? He lives in Bavin. They killed all of us over there. He lives in Egypt. They wanted to kill. Like, well, how are we how are we? Today. Today, Baruch Hashem, you can practice Judaism everywhere. 
For better or for worse, you could practice Judaism everywhere. Why? Because Hashem sent the Jews everywhere. All four corners of the world, you have a center. You have a Chabad. You have a Breslin. You have a regular Orthodox shul. You have a couple of religious guys trying to do something, but they want to continue connecting to Hashem. You have something going on somewhere. Once in a while, you're going to have that convert. Oh, what's this? What's this Chabad? What's this Breslov? No, no, it's Breslov. It's Chabad. What's this Orthodox? Were you Greek? No, no, we're Jews. Not Orthodox Greek. We're Orthodox Jews. Come, we'll show you. The guy converts. According to the Gemara, if you see what the Chachamim thought about converts and what the Rambam talks about converts, you're supposed to mamash, become missionary. But we don't do it today because of the confusion we have and also because of how many problems our own nation has. But nonetheless, you should know on the good end, what Rabbi Akiva was saying, the reason why this is good that Hashem sent us to the exile is because at the end of time, before Mashiach comes, this will give all of the people an opportunity to do tshuva and to convert. How? There's going to be a Jew everywhere. Maybe not right in your town, but it's not so far away. It's not so far away. It's a plane right away. It's a car right away. It's not so far away. You're going to have something. Maybe a little sacrifice, but it's not like it used to be. We had to literally leave your wife and kids for six months. Hopefully you're going to make it back. Worst case scenario, it's a plane ride. A little mesirut nefesh, a little sacrifice, you got it. If you think you're going to walk in and become part of the chosen people uh, without any sacrifice, you have no idea what it means to be a chosen one. But the point is, Rabotai, that there is good even in Gzerah, even in something that's negative like this. And we also learn from Rashbi. We also learn from Rashbi. We also learn from Rabbi Shemobah Yochai. So now, now that we see that When somebody worships an idol or benefits from idolatry or somebody is benefits or commits any type of immorality or any type of bloodshed, this causes more people to, more people to be vomited from the land. The Gemaraim Masechet Shabbat uses in, in page 33a uses three different verses in the Torah to prove this. So, for example, Rabbeinu Yonah actually talks about This is a verse in Leviticus where Hashem says, "I will, I will make you." I'll make your sanctuaries desolate and I will scatter you among the nations. Why? Because of idolatry. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 25, Hashem says, And the land will will become contaminated. And I recalled its iniquity upon it. Why? Because of immodesty. And let not the land disgorge you, vomit you, for having contaminated it. So here, this is also Leviticus 18.28. 
Sounds like an interesting guy. <laughs> so, we see that this is not just an opinion, obviously. This is Torah. Now, Nitivot Shalom of Slonim says that idolatry affects a man's faith. Meaning, when somebody benefits from idolatry in any way, he goes to a church, he prays to J.C. Penny, he prays to a Buddha, he goes up one of these mountains in India thinking that he's mountain climbing only to reach the top and realize that there's an idol at the top of the mountain and he just benefited out of idolatry. He, uh, a woman puts a uh, wig from India on her head. All of these different things, this ruins his emuna. This is going to affect his emuna. Why is oh, there always going to be a safik? Why? I love Hashem. Yeah, you love Hashem, but your own version of Him. Why? You have a safik, you have a doubt in your heart. How did I get this doubt? Why did it just appear? What is it? A virus? Yes, it is a virus. It comes from idolatry. Immorality devastates his inherent or her inherent sanctity. Meaning, if a person is immodest, it's impossible for them to be kadosh. Exactly what we just said here. Kadoshim to you, ki kadoshani. Be holy, because I'm holy. If you're immodest, it is impossible for you to be holy. Impossible. You can read Tehilim from here until next year. Without breathing. Hashem said the entire Ten Commandments in one breath. Not that He breathed, but in one breath, whatever that means. You say, oh, Tehilim, 150 Tehilim, one breath. With your mini skirt, with your tight dress, with your tank top, with your short sleeves, worthless. Worthless, nothing. It's worth nothing. It's better off you didn't do it. In fact, you're not even allowed to say Shema Yisrael or Birkat Amazon next to your own wife if she's not modest. So you want to be Kedoshah? Start becoming modest. Not my opinion. Torah. Bloodshed is symptomatic of egomania. It does not allow a person to be productive specifically within regards to contact with other people. The Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev, Allah Shalom, said specifically that people that waste seed ultimately are egotistical and if they don't stop, eventually become homosexuals. However, he figured it out. That eventually, the desire gets so out of control, so out of control, that they lose their mind. They're no longer satisfied with normal things. They weren't satisfied with the respect they were getting because their ego is so big. So they start doing things that are above and beyond. They waste seed, but eventually the pleasure they get from wasting seed, whether it's with somebody or without, is not enough. They need something new. So Rabbi Nachman Mibreslav said, eventually they become homosexuals. It's no surprise that homosexuals are people that don't stop talking about sex. They're the most immoral people on the planet. 
Forget about whether you agree or disagree with homosexuality, whether you care at all what he does or she does behind closed doors. Forget about what Torah says that somebody that is a homosexual is the same thing as an animal. Forget about it. Put that aside. Let's use pure logic. Did you ever hear of a march for straight people? I'm going to celebrate that I'm straight, that I have a wife, and I'm going to go do a march. I'm going to protest that I am straight. Have you ever heard of such an idea? If somebody said, I'm going to do a protest for straight people tomorrow, do you think anybody's going to show up or they're going to send them to a mental institution? But the gay rights parade is highlighted and celebrated in different parts of the world, whether it be Tel Aviv, Yerushalayim, or Hashem New York, Las Vegas, San Francisco, or wherever else. Why do I care that you're gay? Why do I care? Okay, you want to be gay? Be gay. You want to jump off a roof? Jump off a roof. Why do I need to know about it? Why do I need to know about it? Why do I need to know about your sex life? Why? Why do you feel the need to tell me? Why do you feel the need to tell my little kids? Do I tell your kids? Do I go out of my way to tell your kids? Hey, listen, uh, I'm straight. This shows that it's pure immorality. It's immoral. It's egotistical. It's disgusting. And that's why Hashem says, Toivat Hashem. Disgusting to me. So we see that these three things have a significant magnitude. Now, the Rambam in Ilchot Yisrodea Torah, chapter 5, first halacha, he says the, the entire house of Israel, Kol Bet Yisrael, are commanded regarding the sanctification of God's great name. Kol bet Yisrael metsuvin al kiddush Hashem agadol It's a commandment from the Torah in the book of Leviticus, chapter 22, verse 32, to sanctify Hashem's name. It's not a good thing to do. It's an obligation. It's one of the mitzvot in the Torah. And I shall be sanctified amongst, amongst the children of Israel. And on top of it, it also states, and they shall not desecrate my name. Not only are you obligated to sanctify his name, but you also make sure don't desecrate his name too. There's two different mitzvot. The Gemara in Masechet Chagigah says, if you didn't find a way, you didn't look for a way to sanctify Hashem's name today, it was better off you were never born. To such is the extent of the magnitude of this mitzvah. So if the magnitude of this mitzvah to sanctify Hashem's name is so big, it's kalvachomer, it's needless to say how terrible it is to desecrate His name.
Now, in the second halacha, he says, with regards to other mitzvot, where, where does this all apply, where you have to do all this? This reply, this applies everywhere, except when it comes to worshipping of other gods, forbidden sexual relations, and murder. With regards to these sins, if one is ordered to transgress one of them or be killed, one should sacrifice his life rather than transgress. It says, if a person, you know, there's a, there's a uh, time to honor Hashem's name, there's a time to make sure you don't desecrate His name. Now, if a Gentile would arise and try to force a Jew to violate one of the Torah commandments at the pain of death. He's trying to put a gun to his head, and he says, violate this commandment, or I'm going to kill you. The Torah says, Hashem gave us the Torah to what? To live by it. Meaning, he gave us the Torah not to die. He didn't want us to die. So he gave us the Torah in order for us to live. So if the person's going to die or transgress this sin, don't tra- transgress this sin. Don't uh, don't die. Meaning, if he says, "Listen, eat a uh, pig," or I'm going to kill you. Eat the pig. Eat the pig. Why? It's a mitzvah for you to eat the pig to save your life. Now, this only applies when, with all of the mitzvot, except if it's idol worship, if it's murder, or if it's any type of sexual relations, or if it is in front of ten Jews. Why if it's in front of ten Jews? Because if it's done, if he's trying to, if the Gentiles, is Allah, the second Allah, if the person is trying to force you to transgress the, uh, the Torah, but it's in the presence of ten Jews, then the, you, then the person must sacrifice their life and not transgress, even if it's a minag. Even if it's lagba omel. Even if it's simply a cultural thing. Why? Because now, it's not idolatry. It's not murder. It's not murder. It's not idolatry. It's not a forbidden sexual relations. So what is it? If it's in front of ten other Jews, it's Chilul Hashem. It's desecrating Hashem's name. Better off die and not desecrate Hashem's name. Now, what if the person, the Rambam says here, what are such examples? What are such examples of Chilul Hashem? What are such examples of something that a person is better off to die for? says, if someone forces another person to cook on Shabbat, it's better off he die and not cook on Shabbat. Cook on Shabbat. We're not talking about go uh, murder people uh, with a car. If he told you, go and you do me a favor, make me a steak on Shabbat, go die and don't make the steak. You understand? People are doing this option, they're doing it on purpose. Hashem says it's better off you die and don't make the steak on Shabbat. Don't cook on Shabbat. 
Now, why is this one? Why why are these examples being given? He says because sometimes the issue of idolatry or sexual relations or murder is not the key. That's not the that's not the motivation. They're not trying to get you to murder somebody because they have a vested interest in the other person dying. They're not trying to make you praise their God because they have a vested interest in you becoming a Christian. They're not trying to have you uh, go do something to some woman because uh, they're trying to put revenge. But rather they're simply trying to be minim. They're simply trying to make you sin. That's it. They just want you to go against the Shem. That's it. That's the only purpose for what they're doing. They're saying, do me a favor, make me a stake on Shabbat. He says, that's a chilul Hashem. Die and don't make the stake on Shabbat. So now, the Jews, unfortunately, have had major, major tests that not all of us have passed throughout the generations. For example, there are several letters that the Rambam wrote to different kilot around the world that were going through different nightmares. There are a couple of famous letters, one of them called Igeret Ashmad, and the other one is called Igeret Teman. Igeret Teman was almost 900 years ago. The Arabs in Machshimam decided that they're going to make something new. They're going to combine Judaism and Islam. They're going to combine Judaism and Islam, and everybody has to now accept it or die. Accept it or die. Some people died. Some people started going off the derech. Some people started becoming Muslims. Some people became secular. Confusion started happening. The head rabbi of Teman wrote a letter to the Rambam, which was in Egypt. Teman is Yemen. He wrote him a letter, and the Rambam sent a 26-page, or at least that's the printed version that I had. I don't know how much it was in in handwriting. A long, detailed letter to the people of Yemen, not only praising them of how they're tzaddikim, and their forefathers are tzaddikim, and they have the truth, and they're unbelievable, and He loves them, and Hashem loves them, and He picked them... All these amazing praises that Mamash got the people that were literally like they're, they're burying their heads in the sand. They were Mamash, they were, they were being killed spiritually and physically. Not only helped motivate them to fight, but on top of it, he gave them Mamash an argument that destroys Islam altogether. Proving to them that there's no possibility that their religion can be true. And he used three different verses in the Torah. One of them is the verse in the book of Genesis, Sefer Bereshit, chapter 17, verse 20. In chapter 17, verse 20, Hashem details exactly who's blessed and who's not. He says, Ulishmael, 
שמעתיך, הנה בירכתי אותו, והפרתי אותו, והרבתי אותו במאוד מאוד, שנים עשר נשיאים יולידו נתתיו לגוי גדול. So the Ishmaelim, the Arabs, were saying, look, we have it in the Torah, it says, Hashem says, but regarding Ishmael, I have heard you. This is Avram is uh, crying to Hashem because he's being told to throw out Ishmael out of the house. And the Arabs are saying, look, your own Torah says that Ishmael is blessed. Look in his verse 20. It says, but regarding Ishmael, I have heard you. I have blessed him. Meaning Hashem says, I have blessed Ishmael. And I will make him fruitful and will increase him most exceedingly. He will beget 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. So he's like, hey, see, even Hashem says it in your Torah. So the Rambam says only a fool reads one of the sentences. Why don't you read the next one? The next one, don't go too far. The next verse, what it says. The next verse 21 says, Ve'et briti. אקים את יצחק אשר תלד לך שרה למועד הזה בשנה אחרת. But I will maintain my breed, my covenant to יצחק. Who Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Yes, Ishmael, I'll bless him because he's your son of Ram. Not because of his... You, I'll, just because I love you, I'll bless him and I'll have something good. But the covenant, the deal between us... Only to Yitzchak. Only to Yitzchak. He shows the same type of thing another couple of times in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 15. For all of these people that are confused about Islam, whether it's true, whether it's not true, whether it is, whether that, these verses, literally, you don't have to read too far, you don't have to go too far, because according to the Muslims, you believe in the Torah. They just believe that the Quran is a continuation of it. But that means that the Torah cannot be contradicted. The Quran cannot contradict the Torah. You have to agree with each other. If it says Torah one thing, and the Quran says something else, that's it, the whole thing goes to the garbage. The whole to- Quran goes to the garbage. There you go. Chapter 18, the Rambam, Allah Shalom, almost 900 years ago, verse 15. What does he say? Navi mikirbecha umeachecha kamoni yakim lecha Adonai Elohecha. Elav tishmaul. Moshe Rabbeinu says, they call him Musa. Moshe Rabbeinu says to Am Yisrael, at the end of times, before, before anything, before it all comes to an end, it's going to be a Mashiach. Who's this Mashiach? Who's this Mashiach going to be? The Prophet, is it going to be Muhammad like the Muslims say? Is it going to be J.C. Penny like the Christians say? Who is it going to be? It's a prophet from your midst, from your brethren, like me, says Moshe. Like me it's going to be. Shall Hashem your God establish for you? To Him shall you hearken. You go listen to Him if He's like me. What does it mean if He's like me? What does it mean if He's like me? Moshe Rabbeinu says if He's like me. What does it mean if He's like me? If He's like me, then already that cancels out Muhammad. Because Muhammad is as far away from Moshe Rabbeinu as can be, the different religions, the different everything else. But then the Christians are going to say, see, it says like me. Uh, J.C. Penny was a Jew, no? He's like me, no? No. Why? He says, if he comes to fulfill the Torah, if he comes, what? With only the Torah, no additions, no opinions, no nothing else, just the five books of Moses, nothing else. No New Testament, no, uh, oh, nothing. Only the Torah. He comes to you like this, you're good. 
Of course, this includes our oral Torah and our Tanakh, but nonetheless, no New Testament, no 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 Seven uh, Eleven, no Korans, no uh, McDonald's, none of that garbage. If he's like me, what like me? If all he wants is what Hashem wants. So Rambam also uses another verse, thirty-three two, and again, the point is, is that just if he says literally, anyone that looks at these verses. In any other way, is simply a fool. This is what he says, his own language. He was simply a fool looking to make mistakes. There is no second way to translate this. There's no second way. So the Rambam continues. And he says that these three sins, these are sins that... If a person makes them, he has a serious, serious problem. But what about if he's uh, being forced by these Arabs, he's forced by these Christians to do such a thing? If it's a, if it's a sin like eating pig and it's just you and the guy, you can make the sin, no problem. If you don't make the sin, in fact, Allah says, if somebody says eat pig or uh, go uh, steal money or something like that and it's just one-on-one and you don't, oh, I'll kill you and you don't do it, and they kill you, then you actually get judged as a murderer of yourself. There's no mitzvah, the Rambam says, of being a martyr for no reason. There's no mitzvah. But, if it would cause chilul Hashem, because it's in front of people, or it's idolatry, or it's murder, or it's some type of sex crime, then you are obligated to die, Hashem Elchem. You're obligated to die. Now, there is a difference here between males and females, though, when it comes to the sex crime. Because since a male is always going to feel pleasure, even if he's forced to be with somebody, technically, according to the Gemara, Masechet Yevamot, page 53b, he will always have pleasure out of it, and therefore he can never be considered as if he performed it against his will. Why? Because the Gemara says that even an erection is a conscious act that a man will always be held accountable for. If someone is truly disgusted, there's no, it's not possible for him to be aroused if he's a male. But if he's aroused, that means he's getting something out of it. He is whatever it is. He may it's not may not necessarily be ideal, but he's benefiting out of it. And the Gemara says that he can never be considered as if he performed it against his will. A woman, on the other hand, a woman, on the other hand, the Rabbi mentions rape several times. Shem Rachem, if a woman is raped against her will, it's not she does not have to die. She doesn't have the same obligation. Why? Because she literally can, doesn't, is not going to enjoy it. She's not going to benefit out of it anyway. It's a nightmare for her. A nightmare of nightmares. Ruins her whole life. Whereas the man, he, typical makeup of a, of a male, maybe he'll forget about it in uh, three hours. So... This is in Ilchot uh, Isure Be'a, 1-9. Chapter 1, Alakha 9. And also uses the source of Masechet Yevamot.
So now he continues on the Chafo. He says, when anyone about whom it is said, sacrifice your life and do not transgress, meaning, make this uh, dying, don't make this sin, if anyone is in that class, says, sacrifice his life and do not transgress. When he does it, if he ends up sacrificing his life and not making a sin, he is also fulfilling the biggest mitzvah, which is what? Kiddush Hashem. If he does this in the presence of ten Jews, it's a Kiddush Hashem in public. No less than the Kiddush Hashem that the prophet Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah and Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues made. If they tell him, listen, go kill this guy or we'll kill you and he says, kill me, and other people are going to watch you. Die for Hashem's name. He says, you're no less than, than the prophet Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Rabbi Akiva, all of the martyrs of Am Yisrael, you're like them. You're not so bad. It's a nightmare, but it's not so bad before you go to Gan Eden. Why are you just sanctified Hashem's name Berabim in public? But what happens if he has an opportunity to escape? If he has an opportunity to escape, they caught him, the Arabs caught him, ISIS caught him, Hashem Yerachem, and they tell him, listen, tomorrow you're going to go uh, worship our false, uh, falseanity. You're, tomorrow you're going to kill somebody. Tomorrow you're going to do something. And he has an opportunity to escape. He has an opportunity to run away. And he doesn't. If he escapes, oh Hashem, what if he doesn't? Talks about this too. One who could escape and flee from under the power of a wicked king and fails to do so, what is he like? He's like a dog who returns to lick his own vomit. He's considered just like a Oved Avodah Zarah, a person who worships a false god willingly. He will be prevented from reaching the world to come. No ulama about for him. And he's going to go to the lowest level of Gainum. This is a Rambam. Ilchot Yisudet Torah, Alacha 4. The end. The end of Alacha 4. So, meaning that Hashem, Yeshuat Hashem, the, the, the salvation of Hashem, comes in different forms. Sometimes he's going to give you a test, like he gave the uh, sister-in-law of Rabbi Meir Balanes. She was held hostage in so many words, in a prostitution house. and But Hashem gave her an opportunity to, to flee when Rabbi Mibananez pretended to be somebody else, and she left. Because she left, Baruch Hashem, everything went okay. If she would have decided to stay, any sin she would have made, even though technically she didn't voluntarily go there, would have been considered on purpose. Meaning, when Hashem opens the door for you to go run away and you don't, you are deciding not about running away or not running away. You're deciding now whether it's a on purpose or not on purpose. So now let's talk about some of these things. Abu Dazara, most people don't think that we have Abu Dazara anymore in the world. Now it's been a while since we talked about wigs. That's true. 
you missed last week's lecture. So now there was a few people in New York, when I went to New York, and we mentioned the whole issue of Avodah Zarah in uh, the wigs, that were screaming in the background, Allahic terms, Sfek, Sfeka, Sfek, Sfek, Sfeka, double doubts, doubt, this, that. Because they read somewhere that somebody said that maybe there's a double safek and as if there's a double safek, that means it's permitted. And somebody just made a podcast recently, a two-part podcast that wastes any any listener's time and also causes them to sin because they make you believe as if they're right. All predominantly based on the argument that there is doubt or double doubt in the issue of wigs being a korban, a sacrifice in Avodah Zarah. That wigs are part of Avodah Zarah that you're not allowed to enjoy. So a dear friend of mine also mentioned this just the other day. And I figured that since I responded to him, it's important to respond this also in English for people to know about this whole issue of Sfek Sfeka. Sfek Sfeka, for anyone who doesn't know, it's an halachic term that if there is a safik, there's a doubt of whether something is avodah zarah or not, still you judge it to chumrah. You are stringent with it. If there's a isur de oraita, if there's a biblical sin, you're always more stringent with it. If there's a safek, you still go with the stringent side and still say, now laukutz avodah zarah. If it's the rabbanan, if it's a rabbinical sin, and as a safek, you go to the kula, you go to the lenient, you're lenient on it. But what about if there's two safeks, there's two doubts, there's two doubts, double doubt, then they're saying if there's double doubt, the Rambam says, if there's double doubts even in Abu Zarah, then you, uh, it's, it's allowed. What is it like? The example they give is that if a, uh, the Whigs themselves, they're saying there's two doubts there. What are the two doubts? One doubt is that technically we're saying that the majority of the, that the, there's a, a lot of hair is coming from India, but we're not saying everything. So they're saying if it's only a majority, but it's not everything, that means there's still a percentage that's not. There's still a percentage of the hair that's not coming from idolatry. It's coming from people that are just, I don't know, shaving their head for some odd reason. They're selling it or whatever it is. So if it's not every, so it's not everything. So they're saying, okay, so that's a doubt, meaning you're going to get a batch of hair there's maybe a part of it that's not a Avodah Zarah. So there you go. That's one doubt. The second thing is, is that what if the people like Ravelsky mentioned and also others have mentioned, so what if they don't mean it? What if they don't really mean the Avodah Zarah? What if they, when, they're, when they're going over there to shave their head, they don't really intend for it to be idolatry or there's no statue there or something like that. So that's a second doubt. That's the second doubt. So saying, if there's two doubts, the Rambam says, then you're allowed to use it. 
There's two doubts there. So they're using this and they're dancing as if they have won the war. Little do they know, this was already a lost battle before they started, 900 years ago, from the Rambam, from the Shulchan 500 years ago, and even Rabbi Yashiv 15 years ago. Already dealt with all this. This is just, they were just sleeping under a rock this whole time. So when Rabbi Belsky wrote his tshuva, Rabbi Yashiv completely rejected it, completely based on everything I'm going to tell you now. First and foremost, even though the Rambam says that Sfek Sfeka can be applied in regards to Avodah Zarah, the Shuchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo, in Yoredea Siman 140, Seif Aleph, Seif 1, says, when it comes to Avodah Zarah, Loma speak Shteta Arovot. It's not enough for there to be two suffixes. There has to be three suffix. Why? Because Avodah Zarah is something significant. It's something valuable. It's important to the people that are involved in it. It's not enough for you to just get only two doubts. There has to be more. Okay. Now, he continues in Shut Avkat Rochel, Rabbi Yosef Karo in Siman 68, he says that Sfek Sfeka cannot be applied everywhere. It's not a logic term to be applied across the entire Torah, specifically when it comes to Avodah Zarah, because of the complications of Avodah Zarah. Now, So even if they want to say that there's two doubts when it comes to the Abu Zarah, when it comes to the market, according to the Shulchan Aruch that all of us live by, it's not enough anyway. But there's something more significant. What's more significant? There's no suffix. There's no doubt. At all. There's not even a single doubt. Why? Because first and foremost, Rabutai, anyone that has done research on the Avodah Zarah of India has gone to the temples like we have people that have gone. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not ten. Anyone that has done real research on what's happening in India, there's no less than three different religions that specifically donate the hair to a false god. Some, of course, donate other things and do other things, but in regards to hair, there are several different religions. There's nobody just giving it for no reason. It's a known thing. It's to such an extent that almost 25 million people in India are donating their hair as part of their idolatry annually. This is more than the rest of the world combined. So... It's not a safek of whether it's Abu Dazara or not, if you know what they're doing over there, if you know what Abu Dazara is. If you talk to the priests, if you talk to the, go to the temples, not just talk to, to this uh, woman that's an anthropologist and her opinion is that it's not. Or talk to some rabbi and his opinion is that it's not. Go talk to the people, the people that are worshiping the idols. 
Go go to the temples. Tell them what's this whole temple about. So that's one. There's no suffix there. The second thing is there's also no suffix when it comes to the market. Why? Because the bitul, the bitul, as far as canceling out because there's a doubt, doesn't apply when it's a majority. What is it like? If, let's say, for example, you had a hundred cuckoos, a hundred ponytails, okay? And out of the hundred, 40 of them, you know for sure, 40 of them came from Abu Dazara. That's a minority. If you have multiple suffects other than this, that can cancel it out. But if out of the hundred it's sixty, meaning a majority, sixty percent, a majority, even a million suffects are not going to cancel it out. Why? Because it's now a majority. There is no doubt that Indian hair is the majority of the hair on the planet, being put in extensions and wigs. And so on. There's no doubt. It's a known thing. It's not my opinion. It's not Rav Yashiv Alava Shalom's opinion. It's not anyone's opinion. It's a reality. Why is it a reality? Because Indian hair, according to real research, is the only hair that has the perfect equation to fit the market. What is it? First and foremost, it's the most plentiful in the world. No other market can compete with it. No other company, no other uh, uh, country, no other religion can ever supply anywhere near as much hair as the Indian market. Even if you go to China and they're giving you hair from dead people, which is also not allowed, but let's say you found enough suffix that somehow you made it allowed. You made taref kashel. It's still not anywhere near enough. Why? Because if you took the hair of all the dead people in the entire world that die annually, you're still not coming up with 18 million. And India is 25 million per year alive. Meaning, you took out all the dead people of the entire world, not just China. The entire world is 18 million. The living donors to the Kobano, to the Abu Dazra in India is 25 million. Meaning that... There's no way that even China can compete. If you go to Cambodia, as I told you guys last week, people say, oh yeah, some people are getting hair from Cambodia now. Okay, great. If you take the entire population of Cambodia, it's 17 million. The whole country. If all of them shave the head, the kids shave the head, the father shaved the head, little girl shaved the head, mother shaved the head, the dog shaves his head, the cat shaves his head, the neighbor, everybody's shaving, the tourists are shaving the head, the governor shaving, everyone's shaving their head you still got 17 million. It's still not the same as India annually. And on top of that, even if you got all of them hypothetically to shave their head, it's still not going to supply the market. Why? Because it kills their market for the next 10 years. You can't shave their head again next year or the year after that, or the year, because it takes a while for it to grow. India is an unlimited supply, billion and a half people. Every year you have 25 million donating hair all over again. They're going to come back in 10 years. The others are coming every year. 
even if they doubled or tripled and became 50 or 100 million, it still wouldn't change much. Now, if you went, for example, now always people say, no, no, but I got my hair, it's Brazilian hair. The joke of the year. I got Brazilian hair. Go ahead. Why don't you guys go try? You go make some phone calls. Go into business now. Be entrepreneurs. Why don't you call Brazil, any company you want, and ask them for 100 kilos, 100 kilos of Brazilian, authentic Brazilian hair. 100 kilos. Go call them. They'll tell you, we'll get back to you in 6 to 12 months for 100 kilos of hair. On the other hand, you go on uh, on the website, um, what's it called? Not Amazon, the other one. eBay? No, not Alibaba. eBay. Alibaba. You go to Alibaba.com or you call your contact in, uh, in, uh, in India and you ask him, not for 100 kilos, you ask him for 1,000 tons, 1,000 tons of Indian hair, they'll tell you, sir, where's your address? We can overnight it to you. Overnight, you go to England, I want English hair. You go to anywhere in the world, give me 100 kilos, sorry, we'll get back to you in a year from now. If we can get it, Bichlal. Indian hair, well, uh, as much as you want. Just give us more heads, we'll put it on them too. So, when it comes to the first quality of the equation of Indian hair, it's the most plentiful, it's the only place you can get it. That much hair in the entire world. But that doesn't make it the perfect equation yet. The second element is, it's the best quality hair in the world. When it comes to wigs, there's something, there's a term called remi. Remi means that it's coming from the roots. When they shave the Indian people, the Hindu people, they shave the hair mamash, mamash, to the scalp. You see them bald like a little uh, pool table uh, bald. A little shiny head. Now, mamash, they go deep into the roots and it's, they get mamash into the roots. So the hair is considered the highest quality because it won't tangle. If you have hair coming from, like they make you believe it's coming from hairbrushes. Some people actually believe this nonsense that the, the entire wig market is coming from people's hairbrushes. Or it's coming from little, you know, little girls giving you a little tiny speck of hair and you're going to take all the little girls and all the, uh, their mother's uh, little uh, you know, uh, speck of hair and make that into a wig. People want you to believe nonsense. Now, the problem with all of those is that it doesn't make good quality hair. Because once it's not from the root and once it's that way, it goes in different directions and the hair starts tangling. Once it starts tangling, it's much, much lower quality hair. But when it comes from the root, it's the best quality hair. It doesn't tangle and it lasts much longer. This is called Remy. And in India is by far the number one provider of this hair on the planet. This is not a secret. The reality is there's even a huge company that sells wigs and says on their website, I can send you their, uh, their thing, on their website they're saying to their dear customers, if you really think that you're going to our competition and he's getting you Brazilian hair and Cambodian hair and this hair and that hair, we'd like to tell you that they're all lying to you. Because all of the hair comes from where we are. It comes from India. And if you can prove that your wig 
came from anywhere else other than India, we'll give you a free one. We'll give you a free way. We'll give you free hair, it'll tell you. It's a joke. It's an industry joke. It's an industry joke when it says made in Brazil, made in uh, uh, Cambodia, made in London, made in Italy. There's not made in anywhere. It's in India. Yes, there's a small, tiny market, five, six, maybe 7% of the entire market, maybe, that you get from different countries, but none of them have enough to supply the whole market, the whole 100% or even uh, 50%. Second reason why is because the quality is not possible to get anywhere else. Even if you got someone else, there was a bunch of people that wanted to uh, sell their hair, it's still not going to be the same thing. Why? Because it's not part of their religion to shave from the scalp. If somebody's usually going to donate their hair, usually they're going to cut it. They're not going to shave it. That already changes the quality of the hair. It's no longer Remy. It's, it's, things change. And also, when people cut their hair to donate, it's not usually all everything. They just cut it short. The point is, is that best quality hair comes from India. Everyone knows it. It's not, a, it's not a secret. But the third part of the equation kills everything. Kills any suffect that anyone could ever have in regards to whether their wig is coming from India or not. Now, some people will make you think that just because the wig is blonde, or it's red, or it's blue, or it's green, or it's whatever, that gives you an indication that it came from somewhere else. This just simply means they don't know anything about wigs, or anything about the, wig, the, the, the hair business. Because in the hair business, what the hair looked like when it was on the person's head, and what it looks like when it arrived on a new person's head, are two completely different things. They can make any hair look like anything you want. It can make it blonde, like it just came from one of these, uh, you know, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, European people uh, from Holland or something that have blonde hair and blue eyes all the time. Is it Holland or Netherlands, wherever it is. All these places. They are Sweden, Sweden. Uh, they can make it look blonde, even though it came from an Indian woman. And make it look blonde. If you want it to look like one of these uh, celebrities that has red hair, they'll make it red. You want it to look blue, they'll make it blue. Any color you want, it just goes through processing. And one, two, three, finished. They take off the lice, they take off the other bugs, they take off the diseases, they take off the color, they put new color, they could put shine on it, they could put sparkles on it, they could put your sister on it, your brother on it, your dogs on it, everybody could go on it. You guys go on it if you want for a ride. <laughs> Whatever you want, they could put it. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Anything, you could put ice cream in it if you want. They can make it taste a certain flavor if you want. So if you think that just because you have a, a blonde wig or some other color wig, it didn't come from India, it, it just means you don't know anything about the market. Now, people that's researched it, like myself, and like the team that helped us, and did it on their own, we see it. We talk to them. We see the videos. We went there. It's not a secret. You guys can see yourself if you want. So now, you have the most plentiful market. You have the best quality hair. But what makes it the perfect thing? It's the cheapest. It's the cheapest hair on the planet. So it's like saying, I'm going to sell you a Ferrari or a Rolls Royce. That's a half a million dollar for the cheapest model for 50 bucks. Or you can go with your Honda Accord for 15,000 or 25,000. Which one do you want, sir? Do you want a Rolls Royce that could fit your whole neighborhood in there and everybody feels like they have a, they're, they're in a vacation? 
Or do you want your little uh, Toyota for 25000 50 bucks for the best car in the world? Or uh, 25000 for an average car? Which one do you want, sir? Who's buying? Here you have the, che- the best hair in the world is the cheapest in the world. Why? Because it's the only place in the world that actually people donate it for free. Because it's their religion. It's their idol. It's their Avodah Zarah So now, this changes everything. So even if the Brazilians all of a sudden wanted to start giving their hair, they wouldn't give it for free. It's not their religion. They're mostly Christians, Catholics, and so on. What are they going to do? They're going to start selling it, like the people in Venezuela are selling it right now for food. So already if you sold it for a dollar, that's already more expensive than what Indian hair is. Why? Because that one's free. And also it's not the best. And also there's not as much of it. So this is simple math. This is simple common sense. Your wig is coming from India. There's no other place. When it comes to suffix feka, there's no suffix feka, there's no suffix at all. Why? Because it's a known thing. There is no other market that can supply the market other than India. There is no suffix anymore. And that's why Rav Yashib did not accept the tshuva, the answer of Rav Belsky, because he said it's incorrect to judge this whole mix of hair when you're, they're getting mixed hair from Europe and mixed hair from Brazil, mixed with India, it's completely nonsense. Why? Because either way, the Indian hair is the majority. Once it's the majority, it changes everything. Why? Because once it's a majority, then you have a term called Din Kavua. Din Kavua means that it's a normal thing in India for people to donate their hair. It's a normal thing that at all times, a part of the Indian hair is going to come from idolatry. Once it's part of Din Kavua, once it's part of idolatry for sure, that you know for sure, your package of a thousand tons is for sure going to have idol worship in it, you're not allowed to cancel it under any condition. Forget majority or minority. If you know for sure that's the case, finished. Once it's the majority, it's even more finished. So for all of those that are trying to fight for their wives and their sisters and their mothers and even their own desires to look at women look like they're runway models from the Goyim, stop fighting. You're fighting Hashem, and the reality is, the reason why we're still in the Galut is because we have Avodah Zarah on B'not Israel on their head. On their head we have it. It's not a doubt. It's not a debate. It's not a machloket. There's a truth, and there's emet. There's, there's a emet, and there's a lie. There's shekel. Which one do you want to be? You have a question? So next thing is, when it comes to Giloy Arayot. Giloy Arayot is the, unfortunately connected to the same thing. This imadis, this uh, uh, immorality is not always just the sex crimes. It's also the issues of immodesty. Arab Nisim again, Allah Shalom, used to scream out at the top of his lungs, at least in half the shurim. Anyone that goes to a mixed beach, it's better that they die and not go to a mixed beach. It's 100% Gilu Arayot. 100% Gilu Arayot to go to a mixed beach, to a mixed pool. 100%. There's no doubt, there's no debate. 
100% Today you see religious people thinking they're religious. Say, oh, you want to come to the beach? What to keep on? I had a guy tell me the other day, yeah, it's, uh, I'm religious. Said, yeah, okay, so tell me about yourself. He said, oh, yeah, I go to the beach. I said, who told you you're allowed to go on the beach? He goes, no one, but I figured it's okay. Do tshuva. You have to do tshuva. People simply don't know because they don't think it's Gilu'e Rayot. They think Gilu'e Rayot is just incest. Guy being with his sister or his mother, all types of craziness. No, Gilu'e Rayot is also connected to immodesty. This unfortunately is also connected to the same wig. It's also connected to the same issues because the reason why you're going to see more, mostly men fighting for the permission for the etel of wigs is because men are not able to control themselves. It's not even the women. If the men watch their eyes, the women will start wearing hats. The women will start wearing the mitpachat. They'd have no problem. But because their husband can't watch their eyes, because the husband is, hu- is hugging every other uh, woman member of his keilah as if he's friendly, the wife doesn't feel the confidence she should because she thinks her husband is looking at every woman that walks into the shul. Some, some of these places, you call them shuls, uh, some of these places the rabbi kisses the members. Women members. Kisses them, hugs them like we're friends, we're buddies. Kisses them and hugs them. Gilui arayot. Gilui arayot. You touch the hand of another married woman, it's gilui arayot. You're kissing another woman, it's not your wife, it's gilui arayot. You're hugging her like... The Rambam says even hugging your sister when she's single is stupid. Allowed, but it's stupid. If she's married, you're not allowed to. If she's not married, it's allowed, but it's stupid. Only stupid people do it. You see, rabbis, Erev Rav, hugging and kissing their members. You put, you see their pictures on Facebook. They're proud of it. I see this 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 Rasha from Boca Raton on his Facebook. He has strange women. I know who his wife is. Strange women. He's hugging them. On camera. It's not only Gilu Ereot, it's Chilu Hashem now. Because the Goyim say, look, in Christianity we do the same thing. So Rabotai, this Gilu Ereot is a big deal. And it's happening. It's infested everywhere. You have to understand, you're not even allowed, according to the Shulchan Aruch, you're not even allowed to show affection to your wife in public. Private? Enjoy. No problem. In public? You have no right, no permission to hug your wife or kiss your wife in public. No, not allowed. It's alakha. It's not my opinion. Go check. Go check. Oh, go look Shukhan Aruch. Go look at uh, uh, Ravadia. Go look at all the ma- any major posek. Not allowed. These things are just not allowed. We don't know it. This is all chidush for me and you and everybody. Why? No one talks about it. Everybody thinks that Gilu Erot is incest. Oh yeah, no, I haven't been, oh God, I haven't been with my sister, I haven't, uh, haven't uh, had sex with my mom, so I'm okay, I'm a tzaddik, right? No, you're a shah because you hugged every woman that in your office and kissed every uh, assistant you ever had and you held hands with strange people because you thought it's friendly. Yeah, I didn't know. You should have, you spent 70, 80, 90, 100 years in the world, you should have known by then. Giloy Arayot Rabotai is alive and well. Shfichud Damim, Shfichud Damim is bloodshed. Now, Baruch Hashem, most Jews are not murderers. 
even though the Arabs make you think otherwise, and the lefty liberals also make you think otherwise. But Shfichut Damim has never been the problem as far as an issue for Am Yisrael, as far as murder. Not murder per se, with knives and guns. The problem we had from the time of the generation of Noah to the generation of the first Bet HaMikdash and second Bet HaMikdash, that the prophet Jeremiah says is the Shfichut Damim. We lost the Bet HaMikdash because of Shfichut Damim. What Shfichut Damim? Wasting seed. When a man wastes seed, it's considered 100% shfichud damim, it's considered 100% bloodshed, murder, and as much as people want to make fun of it, don't worry, there's plenty of room for you in Gehenom, not only for making the sin, but also for making fun of it too. You can look at the Zohar, you can look at Parashat Shavua, you can look at the Chachamim, and the Gemara, and Mishnah, you look at any Sefer Netzadikim, and they'll tell you exactly what you're saying is. This is not my opinion. A, a guy that continues to waste seed on purpose, knowing it's not allowed, has no share of the world to come. Why? Because every single time he wastes seed, where does it go to? It goes to the Satan. And what does the Gemara says is this equivalent to? It's considered idolatry. Why? Just like when you make a mitzvah, you bring a korban to Hashem. When you waste seed, you bring a korban to the satan himself. This is why, if you notice, all of these people that worship the satan on purpose, usually it's through blood or semen. Usually the initiation act in the regular, on, a regular, on a regular, what they do is they give their blood, the actual physical blood, and also their semen. That's part of the act of, of, of uh, being a satanist or whatever you want to call it. Why? Because... This creates a lot of major problems in the world, but also is uh, one of the things that gives people that want this tum'ah in their life uh, to be involved with shadim, with all types of spirits, and so on. This is the entry. This is the entry. So all of this, Rabotai, is just these three averot, these three major things are... Alive and well. They're everywhere. They're around us. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Allah Shalom. He doesn't want us to go light bonfires today. He wants us to learn this stuff. Why? So we can get to the same place he's at right now in Gan Eden. Having bonfires is fun as long as it comes with some Torah. But if all it comes with is potato chips and steaks and, 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 uh, and uh, all types of uh, dancing, that's not what Rabbi Shimon wanted. So the issue is that when a person wants to make themselves kadosh, there are special things that he can win. There are special things that he can benefit from. So the Rama, I heard a story about him just the other day. It's mamash unbelievable. This is 444 years ago. The Rama, when he died, the number 33 appeared in multiple places. Odd things, 33rd day, 33rd of, of, uh, of I think it was the uh, Omel, uh, 33rd Parashai uh, uh, thing. Oh, it was different. Number 33 appeared in multiple places. I think he was 33 also. So in his honor, they wanted to give 33 espedim, 33 things that people will say at his uh, funeral. 
they got to number 32 and they ran out. They didn't have number 33. They didn't have anything else to say. And they really wanted to honor him. He was the Gdolador. They wanted to honor him. And there's the, 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 the big rabbis were saying, if anybody knows a story about him and he's not sharing it, and because of them, we're not going to get to number 33, just so you know, there's a sin on you. So these two Talmidim of the Ramah said, okay, now that you said that, we have to do it. Because now it's pikuach nefesh. If you're saying that the sin's on us, then it's pikuach nefesh. But the Ramah himself told us not to say it. But since our life is in danger, we're allowed to say it. We know the story is true because we were the witnesses to this story. What's the story? He said, some years ago there was a magifa, there was a plague. Where? Specifically in the area of Am Yisrael. Mamash, people were dying left and right on a daily basis. And no one knew what was happening. No one knew why the Jews were dying. Regularly, dying, dying every day. No one knew praying, fasting, mitzvot. No one knew what was happening. People were dying every day. They went to the because They said, for the Rav, people are dying every day. You got to do something. He said, I'll only do something if you swear, you make a nedel, that you're going to listen to everything I say without asking questions. No exceptions. They said, we're dying every day. People are dying in the middle of the streets. Kids, adults, people are dying. Whatever you say, we're going to do. You can do all do anyway. He says, you're dead. He says, okay, show me the bodies of the people that died today. They go, they take him, they show him the bodies. He looks one after another. No, 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 not this one, 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 not this one. Not this, one. Oh, this one. Take this one, tie him to a horse, and ride the horse, dragging this body until you have literally nothing left. Only you have little balls left of meat. They look at the body and they see this is the body of one of the hidden tzaddikim of the generation. You sure this is him? I told you no questions. But for the Rav, he's a tzaddik, he's kadosh, everyone knew, Talmud Chacham. Someone that's a mevazeh of a Talmud Chacham has no share of the world to come. Come on, for the Rav. I said, no questions. You want to do it? Oh, no. You swore. You say, you say. These two students, Miskenim, they went to his Kaparat Avonot. Imagine, you take Rav Ovadia, you take uh, Rav Yashiv, you take uh, the Resh Lakish, Rabbi Akiva, you take Moshe Rabbeinu, to even say this. Oh, I can't say it. I can't say it. They take a giant, Kadosh, they tie him to a horse, and they start dragging him. Dragging him, dragging the body, Arms are falling, fingers are falling, eyes are falling. What's happening to this body? After that, he says, take all the pieces, bury it, and that's it. Later that night, the Ramah has a dream. Who's in, who comes to him in a dream? The Tzaddik. The Tzaddik comes to the Ramah and he says to him, why'd you do this to me? I was, I was tzaddik. I learned Torah my whole life. I did chesed. I honored Hashem. 
I died on Kiddush Hashem. I did everything on Hashem. Hashem, Hashem, Hashem. Why did you do this to me? You know that I went up to Shamaim and they said, hey, Gan Eden, Gan Eden. Oh, oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. The Ramah, look what the Ramah is doing to his body. He's dragging his body throughout the whole town. The Ramah might know something that we know. The angel is saying in Shamaim, they're about to let the Tzaddik into Gan Eden. They say, wait, before we let him in, the, look what the Ramah is doing. The Ramah knows something we don't know. You're not allowed to go Gan Eden. Go talk to him. They tell the guy, the soul of the guy that was supposed to go to Gan Eden, go talk to the Ramah, ask him why he's doing it to you because he's doing, maybe you don't deserve to go to Gan Eden. There's something we don't know. Imagine. You, you, learn, you learn some books, some books, <laughs> some books, you get to a point where the angels say, he knows something we don't know. He, this guy cannot enter Gan Eden. So the tzaddik comes to the Ramah and says, why would you do this to me? He says, I knew that if I do this to you, you're going to come to me in a dream. Now I've used all my Kabbalah, I've used all my Chokhmah, I used all of the Kedushah that I have to go to different worlds, to different levels, to different things, to different angels, trying to find out the reason behind the plague. I can't find it. And I knew the only one that could help me is someone that's up there that sees the emet, sees everything. I need your help. He says, Kvodarav, even if I was alive and you told me you're going to drag me throughout the whole entire city, just so I could save Am Yisrael from continuing to die from this plague, I'd still do it. So of course, let me help you. He says, come with me. He comes with them, the Talmidim are there. So he wakes up, says, guys, come. He's coming with us. They go to the cave. Some cave out of town. Talmidim are there watching this. They're not like, uh, he's not alone. There's witnesses. The guys are telling the story. He says, we see him, he's walking, he knows where he's going. Tells them, go into the cave. In the end of the cave, you're going to see someone. And you're going to figure out on your own over there. They go into the cave, they see one of the fake babut. One of the fake rabbis. One of the Erev Rav, but everyone thinks he's a giant. What is he doing? Giloy Arayot. What is he doing? Giloy Arayot. They see he's doing something, Tuaivat Hashem, disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Ramah says, kill him right now. Cut him to pieces. They kill him, immediately the whole plague stops. So the students say, this is not a story. We were there. Later on, his wife of this fake rabbi was looking for him. Says, uh, I can't find him. I want to get married again. And they went to the Ramah and they said, okay, listen, we, we can't find the rabbi. He goes, don't worry, she's okay. She could get, get remarried. He goes, why? You can't get remarried unless you know for sure that the husband died or divorced or something. He goes, no, she's okay. She goes, but we, we, we don't judge Allah based on Ruach HaKodesh. You may know something, but we can't judge Allah based on it. He goes, it's not Ruach HaKodesh. I know. He goes, okay, you know what? I'll bring my students. He brings the students. He goes, guys, this is the wife. Is she allowed to get remarried or no? They say she's allowed. He goes, we're two witnesses. Two witnesses? Finished. 
So the point of the story, Rabotai, is this is not a million years ago. This is not Moshe Rabbeinu. This is not Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. This is a few hundred years ago. This is Ramah. This is Kodesh Kodashim of what a person can do with Torah. Once you have Torah, you could literally change nature around you. If you have money problems, if you have health problems, if you have any problems, you could change everything. Unfortunately, I just heard some horrible news. One of the top suppliers of wigs in the world, a Jewish guy, located in, 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 in Europe, I'm not going to mention exactly where because you could easily figure it out, just found out his son has leukemia. His son has leukemia. What's these, what are these diseases? What are these diseases? These diseases are when you have something foreign in your body. When you have something foreign in your body, a cancer, a shem is a cell that replicates itself multiple, multiple, infinite amount of times and takes over the body. It's a foreign cell. What's Abu Dazara? What's Abu Dazara? Foreign God. You put foreign gods on people's heads, Hashem's going to talk to you also. Chas shalom. we don't want anyone to die, just do tshuva, close the store, close the shop. Anyone that's listened to this wants to tear my hair apart, no problem, I don't care about me, let me be a korban. But go save that little boy. He doesn't deserve to die because of his father's stupid mistakes, or his mother's stupid mistakes. It's not a secret that it's from Abu Dazara. It's not a secret. It's not a secret that it's Abu Dazara. Everyone knows, especially if you're in a business. I bet anything. I bet my life. They close the store. They close the whole thing. You see the kid healed. You see the kid healed. Why? It's the same thing. It's Kalva Homer. It's easy to say. It's easy to see. You have to be blind not to see. You're putting a foreign thing on Bnot Israel. What do you think, Hashem's not going to put a foreign thing into your son too? What do you think, it's the first story I heard about cancer? Second story I heard about cancer when he did little kids? No, it's every story. Every, every other day, Hashem Echem. Every other day. This is what this Mishnah is telling you. Hashem says, yes, we don't have the Sanhedrin anymore. But I'm still running the world. I'm still running the world. There's no free lunch. It's time for us to do tshuva, Rabotai. If you're religious, good, do tshuva. If you're not religious, good, do tshuva. If you're a Jew, you're a Gentile, you're a horse, you're a cat, if you're able to listen to this and understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, you have to do tshuva. The whole shiur is for me to do tshuva. But you guys happen to watch. The point is, Rabotai Hashem is telling us that we're running out of time. We're running out of time. And that's why at the end of this Mishnah, he says that the last reason of why we sent to the Galut is Shemitah Aretz. When the people are just simply ignoring their Shemitah. Why they're ignoring their Shemitah? Because they love money more than they love God. But Hashem Itbarach says in the book of Exodus chapter 19 verse 5, Everything is mine. What do you think? It's your money. What do you think? It's your store. What do you think? It's your body. What do you think? It's your wisdom. Nothing is yours. Everything is Hashem's. Everything is Hashem's. This is the cure for cancer. Once you realize everything is Hashem's, your money, your Bitcoin, your watch, your wife, your kids, you, your body, your mind, your 
ideas, your past, your everything is Hashem's. Changes life. Why? All of a sudden your money is no longer important. It's easy for you to give. All of a sudden your ego is no longer important. It's easy to be humble. All of a sudden your marriage is better. Why? No ego. You're not looking for kavod. You're not looking for people to worship you and clean after you like uh, your wife's a, a maid. Everything changes once you realize everything is a shems. Why do people have problems? Because they think, Kohi ve'otsim yadi. Kohi ve'otsim yadi. Asali tachaylaze. My strength, my might, of my head made me all of this wealth. I made all the money. I made all this. I made the Bitcoin. I made the company. I made the, uh, the, the uh, what's it called, the Coca-Cola and the iPhone. And uh, I, me, 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 it's my $6 million apartment. Korach said also, it's my $6 million apartment. He's in a different place. He's still saying it. It's not working. Rabotai, the cure for cancer of the neshama of the body is to realize something very simple. Kili Everything is Hashem's. Once you realize everything is Hashem's, it's easier to start sacrificing. Sacrifice your business if it's not a kosher business. Sacrifice your ego because it's killing you spiritually. Sacrifice your desires because you know it's Chilul Hashem. You know it's uh, it's it's Gilu Yarayot. You know it's Avodah Zarah. Sacrifice these things. In reality, you have to do it anyway, but once you realize that everything's Hashem's anyway, it becomes easier to sacrifice. But if you're still cheap, and you're still angry, and you're still egotistical, and you're still thinking about how you're going to become rich one day, and you think that's the purpose of life, you haven't even begun to do tshuva. You haven't begun to do tshuva. If you're still worried so much about how you look when you go out to the supermarket, you haven't begun to do tshuva yet. If you're rejecting a a shiduch, because she's Ashkenazi or Sephardi, or he's Ashkenazi or Sephardi, you haven't done any, any tshuva yet. If you're thinking that you're learning 15, 20 minutes a day, you're fine, you're good, you're Moshe Rabbeinu of this generation, you haven't begun to do tshuva. We have to destroy these terrible midot, destroy these terrible desires. The key, the cure, everything is mine. Remember, everything is his. Once you remember everything is his, it's easier. It's easier to get rid of all these terrible things. Because if everything is his, that means he's going to want it back. That means you can't take anything with you over there anyway. That means that he runs the show, he has the rules. And Be'ezrat Hashem, we realize that the Kedusha of the Ramah, the Kedusha of, uh, of Rav Avigdor Miller, the Kedusha of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Kedusha of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Kedusha of Rabbi Akiva, the Kedusha of all these giants... Is the same exact kedusha Hashem is expecting from us. Why? He says kedushim to you, kani kedush. You be holy because I am holy. Be like me, you'll be holy. That's what Hashem says. Be like me. Be like me, you'll be holy. How? My midot, replicate them. You see that I said something is toivat Hashem, something is disgusting to me. You say it's disgusting. I say immodesty is disgusting. You say immodesty is disgusting. I see arrogance is disgusting. You say arrogance is disgusting. Rabbi Akiva one time went to visit this king. Went to visit a king. And the king was a great king. 
And he thought that he's honoring a big rabbi. So what did he do? He gave him a, a whole big hotel room, five nine-star hotel room. And he sent him a couple of prostitutes. The next day, the prostitutes come to the king and say, would you send us to this person all night? He's throwing up in the corner. He's vomiting the whole night. So he came to Rabbi Akiva. He says, uh, Rabbi, I'm sorry. Uh, what, you didn't like them? They weren't good looking. It was disgusting. Go on, Nefit. He starts throwing up again. He goes, why? He goes, it's, they smell like dead rats to me. It's disgusting. What's disgusting? They were beautiful women. What's disgusting? Immodesty is disgusting. Rabbi Akiva says, Kedoshim to you, Kikadoshani Hashem said. What does it mean? I replicate Hashem's midot. He says, Immodesty is disgusting. They're immodest, they're disgusting to me. And that's why every time he saw a dead cat or rat or something in the middle of the street, he'd go smell it. He says, it smells disgusting. I need to remember this smell when I see something that's disgusting to Hashem. I need to feel like it's disgusting. Not just say it's disgusting because I want to be tzaddik. I need to, I need to feel it's, it's disgusting to be modest. I need to feel it's disgusting to be arrogant. I need to feel disgusting, Avodah How? There are disgusting things in the world. I'm going to go look at them. I'm going to smell. That's what Rabbi Akiva did. He went, he would smell it, the disgustingness of it, and remember and take this into account and remember it when he actually saw something that's disgusting to Hashem. You think it's weird? Avigdor Miller says, you're weird. Because that's Kedusha. That's Kedusha. That's what it means. Kedoshim to you, Kikadoshani. That's what it means. It means that you want to feel the same way like Hashem. Hashem says disgusting, I want to be disgusting. Now, Simpson says, I'm a human. I have to use everything that Hashem gave me. Oh, he gave me something disgusting. He gave me something that my desire says is not disgusting. Oh, combine the two, disgusting. Once you want to be kadosh, it's easy to take off the wig. It's easy to take off the bad midot. It's easy to learn Torah. It's easy. Why? You want to be kadosh. You want to be kadosh. Bezat Hashem, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Bezchut, his Torah, all the chachamim, all the kadoshim will help us one day, Bezat Hashem, become kadoshim. Any questions? Next Shiro Bezat Hashem is going to be Sunday, Sunday I believe, uh, in Hollywood. But uh, always uh, be in touch, WhatsApp, Facebook, all these different social medias. I'm very accessible. And always double check the schedule as far as the uh, flyers that are, uh, posters that are posted by the team uh, of the Shirim. If something changes, times, dates, uh, locations, and so on, I don't think anything's going to change Bezat Hashem, but either way, Always good to check because the Yetzirah will always give you the thought. No, there's no shield tonight. There's no shield tonight. Why? It's Tuesday. Yeah, there's no shield. He's, uh, he's in Israel. No, but he just came back. He just announced he's back. No, no. That was last year. <laughs> Yetzirah is always going to tell you no shiur. He's this, he's that. Bezat Hashem, there's shiurim, there's chidushim. And Bezat Hashem, there's a lot of tshuva to do. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.